Hi there, my name is Sam Sheen, and I'm joined as always by my friend and professional colleague, Mary Lindberg. And this is season two of our podcast, Captivated Audience. So we have a really good podcast today because we have the folks from Feature Space joining us. And we have Aradia Same, who we, I've spoken to earlier this year, and she has kindly agreed to come back and chat with us. So Marie, why don't you kick things off? Thank you, Sam. I will. Welcome, Aralia, to Captivated Audience. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Well, thank you for having me. Could I ask you to tell us a little bit about who you are and your background, please? Yeah, of course. So I'm the head of financial crime for Future Space. Uh, so I run the AML business for the company. I joined three years ago, and prior to that, I was in management consultancy and also worked for a big French bank, uh, migrating their transaction monitoring solutions. So financial crime through and through. Well, we do like to speak to people with good experience and especially within transaction monitoring, don't we, Sam? We do indeed. And whereabouts are you based right now? I am at home in uh, Surrey working from my um, kitchen table. Very nice. Very traditional. It's all about working from home these days, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, as a company, we have been really good at adapting. Well, let's talk about adapting, because I would love to hear more about the adaptive behavioral analytics and the platform that you are currently developing and have in use, because it's all about how we behave and how we adapt to the new society, isn't it? Absolutely. So first, at, you know, here at Feature Space, it really starts with our base product philosophy, um, which is that to position yourself to successfully tackle criminal activity and bad um, actors or bad behaviors, you must first understand what good behavior looks like. So the key here is that good behavior rarely changes or changes has, you know, at a much slower rate than bad behavior. So specifically about the way we transact and spend our money. So put simply, ABA um, is the way in which we detect suspicious activity uh, by placing our focus on understanding what good behavior looks like and spotting anomalies that falls outside of that uh, normal behavior profile, whether it's yours or compared to your peers in society. And the adaptive kicks in with machine learning. So you need to learn from the past to predict the future. So if you um, have algorithms that learn from the outcomes of investigations, it will then adapt and predict better outcomes in the future and surface meaningful patterns um, of suspicious activity. See, that's really interesting because in the old days, you'd count on what your investigation team kept in their head and the patterns they would see. And, you know, if you lost them, it was just had a devastating effect in terms of people's experience. So how does your technology get around that old risk? Well, the, you know, so the, the models are built on a number of features, behavioral features, rather than looking at rules in isolation that follows a known typologies or known red flags. So working those features in combination will allow the model to you know, generate alerts. Those alerts are in turn looked by the investigators. And that's why humans are so important. Machine learning is not here to replace the human being. The decision is still there and is done by a human being to teach the machine. So those outcomes, whether they are false positives or, you know, worthwhile alert that can be then raised as SARS uh, to the FIUs, are fed back into the, into the model. So the most um, suspicious activity are therefore surfaced earlier. Um, and ones that has been closed as a false positive will probably not come 
as often or probably not at all anymore. Oh, we are venturing into my favorite topic, data. So can you tell us a little bit more about what kind of data do you actually need to discover those kind of features you are speaking of to detect fraudsters, money launderers, terrorism financing? Well, it's the same type of data that any bank who use an automated solution for transaction monitoring will use. It's just that we compute it slightly differently than traditional systems. So, you know, you usually feed uh, your customer information, your KYC information, account data, and transaction data ultimately. And then you can also augment it to get more context with additional data feeds. If you are looking into uh, business banking or the corporate world, you probably want to have your company's house and have more understanding of who are the UBOs behind those companies. So I think for me, it's important to have that basic data set and then also apply the right analytics to solve the problem. Because I am a true believer that a one-size-fits-all solution doesn't work. You can't build something for retail banking and expect it to work for insurance, for example. Oh, I agree with you there. And also, I would say, in my opinion, systems and solution needs to be more adaptive. Just take this current situation we are in. 12 months ago, customers behaved differently. Well, perhaps normal. Six months ago, there was a different story. And even now, with more lockdowns and cases in the world due to the pandemic, I'm guessing AI and machine learning really comes into use. So, Aralia, I wonder, how does your client benefit from having a behavioral analytics tool in place? Absolutely. It's a great question. And I guess the the benefits uh, of ABA is around being able to cope with that and not doing it more false positive. When COVID happened, everybody's spending patterns change. Everybody has gone digital, probably do more cross uh, wire transaction perhaps, but you know, nobody is cashing out in an ATM or uh, buying in their coffee shop or anything like that. Even your cards, the usage of your card is very different. What you want in a, in a solution is to adapt to that and generate alerts which are worthwhile because that's what happened where your investigators in the banks need to work those alerts day and day out. So if you then have to re-optimize and change your rule sets, etc., then you are letting criminal activity go through. You know, you need to remember that today criminals are extremely smart. They're using the same techniques and the same type of technology and intelligence that we're trying to put in place. So we need to be able to be ahead of that. And they know that as well. So with COVID, for example, there's a lot of things going on around money mules. And it was a really easy way to exploit the vulnerables, people who has lost jobs. And where typically you would have expected in this world, and you probably know that both of you, you always say, oh, the students are the, you know, the go-to people for money mules. Uh, because it is a way to do a bit of cash on the side. When COVID happened, a lot of people lost their jobs and um, there was a much bigger pool of vulnerable people to go after. So, you know, you need your technology to capture these type of things and see that comparing your profile, comparing it to your peer profiles, well, you are still generating a lot which are worthwhile and adapts to those changing contexts. So... In that vein then, earlier you mentioned money mules, but people really enjoy listening to our podcast because everybody likes a good war story. Everybody likes to hear a story. Now we know you can't mention your customers' names, but tell us about an actual case where your technology was used, which helped to either detect or disrupt financial crime. 
so I've been thinking about it and I actually have two, two a little bit different ones. Uh, so let me walk you through them because one other thing we see as well is quite relevant during the time of COVID is um, interminglers, for example. In one cases, that's an exercise we have done for one of our customers. And um, it's in a country where it's quite cash intensive uh, in, in EMEA. And I have a model flagged activity on an insurance salesperson earning about 15,000 euros annually. So who holds eight individual accounts, four joint accounts, uh, one investment product and a credit card, right? You wonder. And this is on this retail banking side. And you would expect somebody like that to have a business account. Among these customers, uh, many accounts, none of them were business accounts, as I was just mentioning. So that was a bit of a flag for the model because you wouldn't expect this type of breakdown of different accounts, et cetera. Um, over the course of a month, this customer received cash and checks deposits from a range of sources, one for as much as four times the annual salary. So see, you know, in a personal account setting, you wouldn't expect these type of things. They also showed significant kind of inter-account transfer over this period. And our model provided three reason codes to explain its high score, because obviously in AML and compliance, all your machine learning models or any models to that effect needs to be explainable. So what the model was saying was like, well, that the money was coming into and then leaving the accounts at a high velocity, which is to say that money appeared to be funneled through accounts, that the amounts coming into and out of the customer's account were sitting just below known thresholds, suggesting that perhaps the customer was trying to avoid those thresholds, you know? So it's a nice way to say, you know, your 10,000 known in a very typical red flag here, the model was clever enough to say, actually, I'm going to start predicting earlier than that because there's other things happening here that is not quite there. And the third reason was that a large number of transactions were coming in perfectly round amounts. It was just perfectly there. So the, the customer may have been conducting business through a personal account and, you know, it should be all fine, but maybe not the right use of the, the product. But it could also go into, you know, things like tax evasion and predicate offense for money laundering. So it's a lot to think about when you raise those type of alerts to an investigator, give them the reason code, and, and then let them do the investigation, speak to the customer without obviously tipping them off. And then, you know, whatever outcome comes out of it, let the model know, because that's how you teach them and be able to pick up on those type of things in the future. Anything else you would like to share with us? A really good juicy story? Maybe something a bit more traditional to kind of, again, um, put into context what uh, adaptive behavioral analytics enables you to do um, without, you know, waiting for thresholds to be breached, but start predicting earlier. In this case, the model flagged a low-risk rated customer. So somebody that you probably call every three years, very vanilla type of customer, who is a director in a family-run you know, family firm. And the customer takes in small salaries of around 7,000 euros annually. Um, so, you know, it's probably your small, you know, medium enterprise type of company and having a small salary coming to the account. But in the months flagged by our model, they made cross-border payments in three different countries, including a country which is kind of known for money laundering risks. 
So some of these cross-border payments were for large sums of money, including two exceeding 10,000. So you wonder, you know, he only have 7,000 coming in. How do you send two of over 10,000 outside, you know? And this account also received numerous credit by checks, uh, one for more than 30,000 euros. So the model, again, started looking into it and generate some reason codes, um, as I mentioned earlier on, to explain why it's looking at this. And it sees that the customer is making high-risk payments to other countries, including high-risk jurisdictions. Customers showing a change in behavior patterns relative to their own historical profile. And that the customer is exhibiting new peak activity as well. Again, it's kind of the same type of reason codes, potentially, but the actual behavior is very different and the reasons of that activity is very different from the one I was just explaining beforehand. So the reason could suggest that the invest, you know, what the investigator should look into at a minimum, but obviously the outcome of the investigation uh, will tell the truth at the end and teach the model in turn what to look for in the future. So a final question from me. Lots of people would love to work with an innovative AML vendor. You know, they've got loads of experience, big head full of knowledge because they work with financial institutions. And, you know, there is a lot of change going on right now, people moving from job to job. So just wondering on a personal level, what would you suggest people think about if they want to make that move? Because obviously you've done it quite successfully, as well as having quite a varied career. What would you suggest to people? Well, for me personally, it was a big leap. I used to work for very big companies and big names, BNP Paribas, EY, and then Deloitte. But, you know, working for a bank, it was, it was fascinating to migrate um, that transaction monitoring solution. And it was at the very beginning of my career. And I studied engineering, so I've always been a geek. It was, it was great, but I knew the bank and the problems and the kind of uh, criminal activity they are trying to stop, how doing it with technology, uh, and I was very passionate about it. Uh, and I moved to the UK and the consultancies enabled me to see a wider, bigger pool of customers from big to small in the UK and abroad as well. I mean, I have been very lucky to work in Aruba for five weeks, for example. So I'm not going to say no to that, right? But the, <laughs> the challenge that came all the time was always the same challenges it was, you know, this, you know, we were not picking up the right things. The investigators were quite unhappy, working alerts and, you know, hundreds of thousands of alerts. And when the way the approach that feature space have taken in the fraud world initially it came to me and somebody spoken to me about it, I just found it really fascinating. I just told me this could work in AML. If, if we can do something, that'd be great. And I just took the leap. It was just a question of trying to find customer would be, um, you know, a believer in it, give us some data and, and prove it that we would work because, you know, it's one thing to believe in things, but you need to prove it as well. So that, on that note, Marie, a leap of faith sometimes is what's needed. I agree. Well, thank you so much, Aralia Same, for joining us today from Feature Space. Well, thank you for, so much for having me. And that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Captivated Audience. If you enjoyed what you heard today and perhaps you'd like to take part, feel free to reach out to us. You can do so directly on LinkedIn on our Captivated Audience page, or you can contact us directly on our website, captivatedaudience.eu. We would really love to hear from you. Until next week, 
As always, Marie, an absolute pleasure. Looking forward to the next episode. Please, folks, wear a mask. And as always, stay safe.